Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Good afternoon. Good evening. Uh, Today, well, actually, before we get into that, I want to say something that I read a long time ago. A Nobel Prize winner winner once said, every child comes with the message that God is not yet discouraged of man. And that is one of the main reasons our guest this week on Change the World is Samantha Pile, whose qualifications are a veritable alphabet soup of letters after her name. She's a surgeon, she's an entrepreneur, she's a speaker, she has three number one Amazon best-selling books out of her seven. And she also focuses, among other things, on inspiring children to careers that they may have never otherwise even dreamed of. So thank you for coming out today. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. And uh, your story is such an interesting one. I don't want to steal any of your thunder. And I think it's a little bit like... I, I know from experience that when someone's passionate about something, as you are, uh, more than one thing actually, it's because it comes from something that's happened in their past. And I know that you're passionate about helping others with their health issues and preventing health issues that they might have. Can you tell me a little bit about why that's the case? There's a lot of reasons that have inspired me. The I grew up in a medical family, so my father was a GP, but I actually was embedded in the hospital system as a child. I was born with congenital hip dysplasia and it wasn't sort of picked up and I failed to walk. And by the time it was picked up, it resulted in me having multiple surgeries and spending long time in the Women's and Children's Hospital here and even starting school in a wheelchair. And that influenced my own personal uh, you know, aspirations to help others in their health. And from that, there's a few other things that have come along the road. One of them was realising as a surgeon with time, and I've been a surgeon for over 20 years here in Adelaide, that uh, my specialty is incontinent surgery. So it's quite a narrow area within the, I'm a urologist or urological surgeon, but many patients have multiple problems and um, I think 40% of Australians now have chronic disease, 80% of chronic disease, diabetes, heart disease, stroke are preventable, 40% of cancers. And I realised as a surgeon, you know, there's only so much I can actually do to help someone with their health. And the big change maker, the big person, the one thing is what they can do. That's much more powerful than anything I could ever do as a surgeon. And as much as I'd love to be able to do that for them, I can't, and as much as it, and not just in the medical. If you think of your friends or your family, you know there might be healthy um, or unhealthy lifestyle uh, that are going to have consequences down the track. And you can give all the advice you want to their people to make those changes, but they're the only ones. No one other than them can make those changes. And really, we're inundated with health information now. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, what's difficult is not that 
knowing or not being able to access that information, but the willpower, the um, passion, the drive to actually implement those changes and keep them going long term. And that's, I think, just a huge problem for society. And that's why I'd really like to make a difference. Because if you think about it, it's not just the individual's well-being and happiness in life and whether, you know, know, you're going to be in a nursing home or live independently. You think of our health workforce, you know, what it's going to mean, we can't keep up. And our health um, resources are overstretched. And if we can prevent those diseases and the economic impacts, you know, we... We're not going to be able to continue to afford to pay for this. And if we've got an increasing burden of sick people, um, less people who can work and look after them and a never-ending economic impact, that that prevention is key. Now, what happens, and everyone will know this, it's when it's too late. It's when someone gets the test result. It's when someone has the heart attack or the cancer diagnosis or someone something happens that they suddenly find the willpower to make dramatic changes in their life and do what they always thought they'd do one day but you know didn't get around to doing now and that that transformation comes from within they haven't gone out and bought an upgrade they've just been able to uh, suddenly do with their resources them that's all they've they've needed they've suddenly been able to make that change and it it if we can only find a way to help people uh, prioritise their health and realise there's really nothing more important in life and make the change now when every day counts rather than every day damaging their health mm. um, and they can transform their life before it's too late rather than waiting until they get the, you know, bad news. Wow. So much interesting information there to unpack. I mean, can we go back just a little bit? I, I, I want to... Um, it went, you said when you were a child, uh, you had uh, a hip a hip uh, dysplasia. You said, yeah, it's a condition where the uh-huh. hips aren't formed properly okay. and they're sort of dislocated or not in the and right then place. How old were you when you were diagnosed with that? I think it was around about two. Two, okay. Mm. And then, and so you had you said you had multiple surgeries. How many is multiple? Do you know? I think, yes, well, obviously I don't have the clear memory because I was so young. It was uh-huh. sort of mainly around the age of two to four, but probably, uh-huh. um, you know, six to eight, I think. Wow, yeah. that's rough. Um, and then, and then, okay, and then you started school in a wheelchair? Yeah. And was that kindergarten, first grade, second grade? Yeah, in kindergarten. And then um, I had long leg calipers and crutches, and then I had short leg calipers and kind of really struggled once I was out of that and I was walking unaided I would you know even in um primary school if I had to go upstairs I had to go upstairs on my bottom because I couldn't actually go upstairs um so I'd sit down and go up backwards on my bottom couldn't get sit on the floor couldn't sit cross or I I mean I still can't sit cross I never could sit Uh cross-legged so I had to sit with the teachers you know while the rest of the school sat on the floor and um I, you know, it was a very, very long, slow, slow process. Actually, by the time I was eighteen, I could go upstairs one after the other instead of both feet on each step. So, wow! I'm sorry to interrupt. So you couldn't climb the stairs till you're eighteen years old. No, no, I, mean, I could. I mean, well, in such a way that people wouldn't go, hmm, what is it? What's going on there? Oh no! I, mean, I, w- I mean, even when I was twenty, thirty, forty, I would hold on to the rails and use a significant amount of force to pull myself up. The stairs. But, but people might think you just twisted your knee playing 
volleyball or something. Yeah, I had a significant limp. I mean, I still have a limp. It's not uh-huh. as bad because um, I had a hip replacement five years ago and I've been doing a lot of work uh-huh. um, to improve things. So I'm actually more mobile and have less limp now in my 50s than I ever had ever in my life before. Wow. Um, and I'm actually more mobile. So it's kind of really weird. I, you know, I, I'm a bit like a wine getting better with age. Um, mm. There's not many women that can say I'm more um, physically fitter and able than I was as a child or in my 20s. Well, yeah, I, I didn't think you were 50 until you told me you had 20 years experience as a surgeon. Because I could do the math on how the medical school and internships and all that are. So I was young. I, mean, I did finish school by the time I was 16. Oh, so great. Oh, you finished been... high school when you yeah, were 16? Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Straight to med school. I wouldn't have been shocked if you said university by the age. No, of no, no. I wasn't sure. No. Okay. All right. Well, I. Uh, yeah. That's that's really. What do you think that did to your psyche? I mean, just. I mean, I, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but maybe there's some negatives. Maybe there's some positives. But obviously, you know, having those challenges growing up made an impact on who you are today. What do you think? Oh, a massive. I mean, it was defined everything about me, you know, um, from the point of the clothes I'd wear to what venues I'd go to because of the access and whether I could get a park and how far I'd have to walk to, you know, how I planned my day. So I limited the number of steps because I had so much pain when I walked to what career I chose. Obviously, everyone said, don't, you can do, if you do medicine, you can do anything but be a surgeon. Mm. Um, and, you know, to a young woman that was like red rag to a bull. But mm. I still, um, you know, I was the first female to do urological surgery in South Australia. Um, so I still wanted to be a surgeon, but I had to accept that I had some limitations. So that did influence my choice as far as a surgical specialty where I could do a lot of surgery sitting down. Oh. And even within that specialty, I then chose incontinent surgery where I could still do even more surgery sitting down. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, also operations that weren't long, you know, I was, might be doing couple, short operations or even things a couple of hours, but it wasn't, I couldn't have chosen a specialty where I'd have to sort of get up and do 10 hour operations standing because I couldn't ever stand for that long. I don't think most people could. <laughs> I guess they can. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it seems pretty tough to me. Um, okay. Wow. But what about, you know, I, I, and again, if, if I'm going into areas you're not comfortable with, you, you know, you can, you can stop me. But I, I just, I, when I, when I hear about what, the, what you've been through, I think, well, gosh, you know, most of the people that have made the biggest impact on the world and most of the people that have done the most exciting things have had it the roughest, you know. And then I hear all this about, you know, until you're 18, you know, it's difficult to climb stairs even. And I think, wow, well, that's probably why you're the success you are today. I mean, if that hadn't happened, you know, maybe, you, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with it, but maybe you would have just... I don't know. Been average. Worked at McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, I mean, please, McDonald's, don't sue me. My pockets aren't deep enough. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I worked I mean, at Focus Video when I was a medical student. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, 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 I think it drove me to make a difference, to, to do everything I could to make a difference. And that comes back to the health in the sense that I realized that I had probably two parts. You know, I, if I just um, gave into the pain and gave into what I couldn't do. Um, You know, it was a struggle to control my weight when I couldn't exercise, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could have just ended up on a disability pension. Um, Or I could, but no one's going to save me. No Mm. one's going to come and fix it. 
it was my lot in life. So I could just work as hard as I could and try and make up for what I didn't have. Um, so one of the things was study. Obviously, I did very well out of study. You know, I did ac- academically and then my medical school became a surgeon because, you know, sitting at a desk is a really, you know, mm-hmm. what I, it, everyone's just been doing it the last few years because of COVID, but I've been doing it my whole life mm. as much as I could. So, you know, um, that, that sort of one, one thing that's kind of, uh, motivated me to make a difference because it was like, well, if I don't do this, I could just see life looking really terrible and being consumed by the pain um, and just giving in to that. Whereas if I actually took control of my life and tried to do everything I could to actually um, be as successful as I could, I could kind of make up for what I didn't have maybe. Mm. Wow, that's awesome. And and, and I heard a, a, a speaker that had – uh, a lot of challenges, and I can't, and I don't want to get into them now. But he, the point he made, I think, is what you're saying. It, it, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, don't focus on the thousand things you can't do. Focus on the one hundred things you can do, and be good at those. Is that is that what yeah, I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's right. I just had to. It, taking it one step further, I almost had to force myself to constantly have new goals and challenges to keep myself constantly only looking at what I could do so mm. that I never had a window of opportunity. I'm one of these super busy people and still am mm. to think about what I couldn't do in life because mm. that would have been incredibly depressing and I probably mm. would have just stopped and started crying and never stopped crying. So I just never allowed myself to go there. Mm. Always think about the next thing that I could do. Wow. That's great. Great advice. And on that super powerful note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Dr. Pile here in just a little bit. Radio Italia Uno. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Dr. Samantha Pile, who is a three times number one Amazon best-selling author and seven-time author, as well as a surgeon. And before the break, she was telling me a little bit about how she's just like my hero and role model, Theodore Roosevelt, who had a lot of challenges. And what he did is he focused on uh, what he could do instead of what he could, not what he couldn't do and made uh, some big, big changes. But um, one of the things that you were talking about before, one of your passions, doctor, is that, uh, you know, that. You, I think you mentioned 40% of Australians have chronic diseases now? Yes, so that's the health of the population, you know, and we hear about it in the news all the time, is really declining. We have just alarming statistics when it comes to preventable disease. So not all chronic disease is preventable, but, you know, if, as I mentioned before, 80% of heart disease, stroke, diabetes. And we've got um, a number of problems and these problems cause people suffering they cause a burden on our healthcare system and they're expensive I mean, and anything from the simplest thing that you can go to so 70% of Australians are going to get skin cancer wow right? 70% yeah over the age of 80 70% are going to have cataracts you know wow. and people sort of 
think, oh, well, you know, I'm too lazy to put on sunscreen or put on sunglasses, but they don't realise it takes decades for the problems to materialise, but they do and they are, you know, very preventable conditions. Mm. Or 90% have got, you know, uh, caries, fillings, um, mm. you know, and, and yet brushing your teeth can more or less pre- completely prevent this. So it Plus it can make your wife uh, happier with you too. Yeah, and, well, it's not – I mean, I, one of the things I say to people is you've got to invest in the first 50 years of your life mm. to – Set yourself up for how you're going to live the second 50 years of your life. Now, mm. it's never too late because we're both in the over 50 bracket. And I have a self, self-interest self in now becoming interested in all this because I'm now in that situation where it's like, well, I want to look after my own health as well mm. um, and do what I can. And, you know, often many of us haven't paid as the attention that we should have when we're younger. Those ones, those young ones that are smart and invest now will reap the rewards. And I see the patients. It is a reality when you have to, and so stop and ask yourself, you know, do you want to be able to live independently or do you want to be in a nursing home? Do you want to be able to feed yourself? Do you want to be able to dress yourself or shower yourself? Um, These are the things that impact people's quality of life significantly. And diseases that are preventable um, due to lifestyle factors can add up over the over the decades and it is a really a matter of invest now or pay later for mm. people to look after their health and every day you don't do it it's taking you one step closer to that you know the presentation mm. of that chronic disease mm. and every day that you you are healthy and you invest in your health allows you to help do what you can. There's things we can't do. It might be genetics or other things that happen that are not preventable. But, you know, again, it's like the problems I had with my hip, that, that I couldn't change that. That's made me more vo- – that, that is the blessing in disguise you were talking about that's made me motivated to go, well, now I've got something I can't fix. Why not do um, something about the things I can fix? Um, someone was asking me the other day about, you know, they were talking about their bowel cancer because they had a family history. You can't change that, but, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't do other things that, you know, might help uh, reduce your risk factors. Why would you want to add to it? Um, so that, they're the difficult things that that um, are hard for people to really make the sacrifice now because you have to make – but it's the little things. It's little bits. You're not – you know, you're not being asked to climb Everest or, you know, jump – uh, you know, over a hundred metre bar. It's very small things like mm. you know what you have at this meal, mm. um, but it's the repetition of that over and over again, day in and day out. Mm. So it's kind of. Have you have you read that book, Atomic Habits? I haven't. Oh, okay. But he, he talks about uh, the author talks about how. Uh, instead of setting a goal, you just work on changing your habits and changing your habits a little bit every day, and then you'll get the result you want. It's so exactly it's kind of, that. Yeah, so that's that's what it made me think of when you were saying that. And it's interesting point that you brought up about you know uh, you know pay now or pay later. If you think about all the people that kill themselves to to build up this big retirement fund of money, this big pile of money at the end of the rainbow at sixty five, so they can buy their caravan and tour Australia or whatever, um, well, you're not going to have much fun touring if you can't get in and out of the caravan <laughs> or you have to stop every you know, you know, know, hour to go to the bathroom or to get an insulin injection or whatever. 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry to go ahead. I just. No, no, no. I see lots of people who mm. it's exactly that. You know, they, they might have retired to um, a sea change and then because of their health condition, they have to move back to town because mm. of medical care mm. or they wanted to travel, but they can't actually travel overseas anymore. Mm. Their mobility or health condition prevents their ability to travel. So it, it is. Um, uh, and it, the other thing is, you know, even just if you look at dental, I mean, how expensive is dental treatment? And, you know, mm. speak to people, you know, anyone over the age of 80 and ask them about their teeth and you'll probably get a very long story about, um, you know, the amount of time and money. Um, and so when you're talking about that retirement income, you know, uh, the if you think of the costs, the healthcare costs, mm. um, that these things really impact on people's quality of life. And that are maybe, and again, I working in the healthcare system, it's these non-urgent, life-threatening things that people um, wait the longest times in the public hospital for, and are more likely to, you know, be spending their own money to get access to physiotherapy or dental care or all these other things at an age when they've retired and they can least afford it. Hmm. Well, is there any hacks that you can think of to help somebody get motivated, other than things we said, because? Most of the people, not everybody, but probably at least half the people out there are smart enough to know, hey, what I'm doing is not too good for me and I'm going to pay for it later. But they keep doing it anyway. And I'm guilty of that. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure lots of other people are guilty of that as well. What do you? What games can you play with yourself to get yourself yeah. to actually do something instead of saying, oh, tomorrow? I, I think it was Zig Ziglar that said, tomorrow is the greatest labor-saving device ever created. <laughs> okay. So what do we do to, to avoid that exactly. trap? So think I, I, that's exactly my area of interest. That's the, the magic that I think we need to unlock. And I, and what, how I see it is a snowball. So if you think about unhealthy stuff, it's really easy when you're doing something unhealthy to just keep doing other healthy stuff because you know you're doing something unhealthy. So, you know, say you've got chips, so you think I might as well have chips and, you know, a burger or chips and so you know once you start it's just like you know you've just like opened the floodgates and you mm -hmm. just like keep you know we'll have a few glass of wine with that and whatever and whatever mm -hmm. so it, it it's very easy if you sort of don't go to the gym or don't weigh yourself to then do it one day do it second. or take all the mirrors out of the house yeah so you know <laughs> but it's this health though it's the opposite it's the same it snowballs so start small and just do small things over and over again. So mm. a lot of people sort of think, oh, my God, if I've got to put on sunglasses and wear sunscreen and reduce the salt in my diet and exercise, et cetera, et cetera, it's just overwhelming. But in actual fact, if you realize how much da you're damaging your health and you realize the consequences, that's the sort of education that you need for a bit of a wake-up call. Mm. Then start with something that you can achieve achievable. If you think it's flossing your teeth and brushing your teeth, and, if, and spending two minutes a day thinking about what you've done to make yourself healthy every day and going, I'm going to, you know, whatever, or I brush my teeth properly, I'm going to weigh myself. Then you, you start, you do that. And then once you've mastered that, you think, oh, I'm doing, focus on what you're doing that's healthy. Then start thinking, well, I'm, you know, drinking enough water or I'm, uh, I had a healthy breakfast. Don't worry about the unhealthy dinner, but just focus on the little things that you can do and keep adding and they will snowball because the more the healthier you become when you the healthier your breakfast the harder it is to just have an all out disaster at lunch mm. the it, so you just keep adding to these things day by day mm. i mean i think um 
you know, I've downloaded the, the SunSmart app on my phone that tells me when I need to put on sunscreen. Helping, remembering to put on sunscreen, apart from the fact that now I don't want to get wrinkles, um, it helps me eat healthier. Mm. Yeah, because I'm doing positive things all the time to look after myself. So just do something that's good for your health and keep doing it and keep doing something else and it starts to snowball. Surround yourself with healthy people. Surround yourself with healthy habits. The more healthy things in your life, the harder it becomes to ignore, uh, blatantly ignore something really unhealthy that you're doing in your life. And eventually there'll be a tipping point. Yep. Okay. And you'll suddenly, I'm a healthy person. <laughs> well, yeah. You've got to start thinking of yourself as a healthy yeah. person or it'll never happen. That's another great point. Correct. Wow. Okay, well, with those words of wisdom, we're going to take another quick break, and we're going to be back with the doctor. She's going to talk about her seven books that she's published and and even the three that are on the Amazon uh, best-selling list, and she's going to talk about how those books are helping children, uh, inspiring them to careers that they never even dreamed of. So you might, you want to listen in to find out how you can help inspire your own children. We'll be right back. Radio Italia 1. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia 1, 87.6 FM. For those of you that are brokenhearted because you missed the first half of the show, I just want to tell you that we're here with Dr. Samantha Pillay, uh, number one Amazon best-selling author times three, surgeon, entrepreneur, uh, and uh, owner of an alphabet soup f- full of degrees <laughs> after her name. And uh, we were talking, uh, actually, during the break, you were mentioning that your father, you're a doctor and you came from a long line of doctors, that your father was really involved in the Italian community, despite being uh, from Malaysia and of Sri Lankan descent. Yes, yeah, yeah. so he came here in 1948 as a medical student at Adelaide University. And you know, he worked on the Holden production line in medical school. And set up practice in Glind um, a long time ago. So he finished his medical degree in 55. And he practiced, I think, for 55 years in Adelaide wow. as a GP. And he loved so languages. So he wasn't very good. He practiced for 55 <laughs> yeah, yeah, years right. and he never got good at it. <laughs> doctors wow. get a lot of those okay. jokes. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> can't help myself. Uh, no, you can't help yourself. Um, so we, uh, so he used to be able to co- – well, he consulted in Italian. And when he first – now, there's lots of Italian doctors, mm-hmm. but when back then there wasn't a lot of Italian mm, doctors, mm. and so a lot of people and a lot of the listeners, especially the older Italian people in Adelaide, would know him. He was quite well known in the Italian community. He was a lover of languages. He loved the Italian community. Um, I think he sort of became part Italian mm. over the years here, and um, they were, you know, the majority of his patients. The first house that they my parents built in the middle of nowhere in Market Gardens in Paradise is obviously now a very well developed suburb in Adelaide, um, and that he he uh, was well known amongst the, the Italian community here. Yeah, wow. I, and- I've had patients where they've said to me, you know, your your father delivered me oh. and my mother, <laughs> wow. like two generations. You wow. know, yeah. And he spoke eight languages, you said? Yeah, I think at least, you know, he spoke a lot of languages. Um, wow. Obviously, um, he had his English, but then he had his 
um, Malaysia. He grew, he was born in Malaysia, even though he's of Sri, Sri Lankan ethnicity. And so there was, you know, there. It's I don't think it's really that uncommon for people to be fluent in sort of um, Mandarin, Cantonese, Tamil. Mm. Um, Malay, English, there's already five that they're fluent in before they leave the country. Wow. Well, let's get back to you. So um, so you've written seven books, and are they all children's books? Well, that is kind of interesting. Only the at the last six, there's three, in, three children's books in a series that I'll talk about, and each one of those has an activity book. So that's the uh-huh. last six. Okay. The first book came about this, this health um, journey. So what happened was, my problem was time. I was just time poor. Mm-hmm. And I was so stressed out that my biggest stress was what's for dinner mm. and trying to shop and meal plan and organize and I'd be exhausted and I'd be hangry at the end of the day. So just trying to choose from an app from a home delivery was stressful. There's mm. too much choice. It takes too long. Delivery's too slow. I didn't have time to go and pick up takeaway. I didn't have time to go to a restaurant and eat. I didn't have um, time to wait for for me or I just needed to cook something really quick mm-hmm. and I I had all these recipe books that I'd buy from, and I'd spend the weekend deciding what I want to cook and then I'd be so exhausted by the end of that I didn't want to cook and so I developed this repertoire of basic go-to meals cooking without a recipe often with one pot I had to minimize washing up because I actually before I had my hip replacement you know I couldn't if I, I mean, before I had my hip replacement, my mobility was so bad I couldn't even do my own shopping. But I couldn't um, stand and cook a meal um, because my, I was in so much pain unless it was, you know, I had to be able to do something in 10 minutes. If I cooked, I couldn't wash up, you know. Mm-hmm. If I shopped, I couldn't cook. So I worked out this way of shopping once at a fortnight, mm-hmm. planning a whole two weeks meals using the short life ingredients in the first part of the two weeks and longer life pantry ingredients in the second half. That saved me loads of time. Mm. Being able to cook meals really quickly without a recipe where you just kind of choose however much you want of anything and throw it in the pan Mm -hmm. meant that I didn't have to stand up for long. I didn't have much washing up, which Mm. was good for my hip. So it saved me a lot of time, money. It was so much healthier. There's so much sugar and fat and salt in meals, uh, restaurant restaurant meals, processed foods Mm. that, you know, I lost weight. I thought I have saved myself a lot of time. I have saved myself a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. I have... Um, saved myself a lot of money. My mm. food bill more than halved. My kitchen waste went down. Um, and, you know, I've lost weight. That's surely of use to other people. Mm. And the big, the biggest cons- thing I thought, the, the hardest thing was people who don't cook. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the No Recipe Cookbook, the mm. cookbook for people who don't cook. Wow. Because there's cooking books for people who cook. There's cooking shows for people who are interested in cooking. Mm-hmm. But there weren't really things written for people who are not interested in cooking. Mm. They don't want to cook. They just want to eat. Yeah, they have apps <laughs> to order food. <laughs> yeah, they, the people that don't cook. So I wrote mm-hmm. a cookbook. It's written in prose. There's no pictures. There's no recipes. It's a quick, easy re- mm-hmm. read. You can have a, a, a practice to get a repertoire of just go-to meals. And if people are interested, you can download for free from my website. So that's samanthapillay.com, some of the meals, and just uh, the idea of how, how it's written. So what's the name of this book and where where can you buy it? And, and and the other thing, sorry, I'm peppering you with questions, but was this before your son or was this? Oh, yeah. No, this was only three uh, just um, as COVID sort of started oh, okay. I, I had, I, that I got started writing the book. I'd oh, had okay. to develop the, the way of living before that, but then um, uh, 
three years ago, I started with the No Recipe. Yes, I've done seven books in three years. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So I did the – it's the called The No Recipe Cookbook. Um, it's available on Amazon and all the online stores. So mm-hmm. it's available online, um, sort of Booktopia, Book Depository, all those mm-hmm. sorts of mm-hmm. online stores, um, and an ebook. Um, and there's links, again, for my website or sample chapters from there. Then – my other passion. So obviously my own experience is what motivated me to take up all these causes. One of, was when I, by the time I finished my surgical training more than 20 years ago, mm-hmm. less than 4% of surgeons were women. Mm. 22 years later, it's only increased by 10%. Mm. And yet we've had, which is sort of alluded to, more than 50% of medical stu- school students uh, have been female for more than 30 years. Yeah, And everyone sort of goes, well, if you're a woman – um, you know, be a GP. It's got to be family friendly. We put we put these limitations on women's visions um, and aspirations because it's like, well, you can do you can only do so much because you can't do that because you've got to reserve part of you to run a house or you know um, be a mother. Or, and what happens is that. I wrote. I, I write a number of articles, so they're available on my website as well. One of the mm-hmm. articles I wrote was why. And surgery- your website is. Samantha, my name Samantha Pillay, P-I-L-L-A-Y dot com. Mm-hmm. One of them was why surgery should actually be the number one career choice for w- women, not the last career choice because mm-hmm. of the flexibility it gave me, the ability to be able to sort of afford support um, with, you know, um, nanny and various things like that, that I probably wouldn't have been able to have and being my own boss and being able to choose to have time off at sports day or school holidays. So... It's, and the skills it's given me and the opportunities it's given me, obviously, when you educate someone as a parent, that, that has a positive effect on their children. So I um, wanted to inspire the next generation of female leaders, uh, inspire girls to dream big, aim high, mm. to believe in themselves and to be able to pursue what are often male-dominated professions um, and much higher-paid professions. Mm -hmm. So the first children's picture book was When I'm a Surgeon. Mm -hmm. The second picture book was When I'm an Entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. each with its activity book. Um, The third... When I'm an astronaut. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. I have no space experience and I have no intention of going to space. I have experience spacing out. <laughs> I don't have that either. Okay. So I um, – but I love physics at school and it gave me the opportunity to spend six months researching astronaut training. And Andy Thomas very kindly gave me a testimonial for the book um, as well as uh, Flavia Tata Nadini, who is the uh, CEO and uh, co-founder of Fleet. Um, so Andrea Boyd, who's um, deputy in, at the European Space Agency. Um, so a great opportunity to meet a whole lot of people um, that I wouldn't have otherwise connected with um, in the space sector uh, with that book. And each book is written in the first person, so it, um, it inspires young girls, the protagonist, the main character is a girl, to see themselves in that role. So it's not about every girl becoming a surgeon. It's just about every girl believing mm. and dreaming that they could become a surgeon, mm. as well as highlighting those essential qualities of what it takes to be a surgeon or an entrepreneur or an astronaut. Mm. Well, it's interesting because I know in the United States, uh, men are – uh, now, now women outnumber university students as university students two to one. Women are two to one now. So, um, 
I don't know. Why why do you think that? I know that your passion is helping uh, girls believe they can be anything, but I mean, obviously, we want everybody to believe they can be anything, whether they're male or female or, you know, whatever color, race, creed, you know, religion, whatever. So why why do you think that's happening? Why do you think it's falling, that they're falling down on the entry level, you know, men? Um, I'm not sure about the... Um the entry level in the universities there the the difficulty arises in the career choices so women end up in lower paid careers mm. so say for example in stem you know we have a less than a third of the workforce are women and in the space industry it's sort of one in five mm-hmm. if you look at um surgery as I mentioned before it's less than 14 percent of mm-hmm. surgeons now in um, Australia, a female. If you look at entrepreneurs, um, only 4% of venture capital funding in Australia goes to sole female founder companies. So there's certain areas where um, and women are not in those higher paid roles. And that contributes to the gender pay gap. Um, and it contributes to how women see women and how men see women. It, it relates to um, – and STEM is important because STEM is predicted to grow mm-hmm. and it's a high-paid profession. Mm-hmm. By STEM, you mean science, technology, engineering, and math, right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I'm interested in in what your opinion uh, – we're, we're going to have to take a quick break, but when we get back, I'd really like to talk about why you feel that you know men are less involved in higher education, but then at the – at, right at the end, you know, they're maybe at the at the top, which doesn't make sense. You know, if you outnumber them two to one, if women have twice as many pe- people going into university as men do, you would think they would have twice as many of the higher – I mean, they're even getting more PhDs than men. So – but they're not being placed uh, in those roles, which is really, for me, uh, confusing. But we're going to be back in just a little bit. With Dr. Sam, right after this. Radio Italia Uno. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. We're back with Dr. Pile, and we're going to talk about uh, some. I want to talk about some of the books that you've written here. You, you talked about the three different books and their activity books that go along with them. Have you had any feedback? So it, it has been uh, fantastic, you know, to be in Adelaide and write a book and then have uh, pictures or messages or reviews written. Um, and if someone wants to read them, you know, you can go to Amazon and read the reviews. There's some on my website, samanthapillay.com as well, um, where to, to, to realise that you can actually have an impact all around the world. You know, as a surgeon, you really help people on a macro level. It's one-on-one. I only ever operate on one person at a time. Mm. And suddenly you're in a position where you can help people around the world. And it, they're picture books, so they're aimed at really young kids, you know, even from as low as two, but probably around the age of three to five. Mm. And it normalises. It normalises women in these roles. So you don't really have – you're not trying to change something. You're not trying to explain or – or, but it's about preventing. So as soon as girls are dressing up um, – and I've had beautiful photos of kids dressed up holding the books or just imagining themselves, um, they they – 
it, it normalizes the idea of a woman in these roles. And so they, these career stereotypes, which we know start to form as early as age three and often formed by the age of seven, don't form. Mm. And the children, um, have, uh, uh, the, the books are conversation starters. So being picture books is just like a sentence each page about that career. The images have like Easter eggs in them. So you can go into the depth of the images and you might sort of say, why on earth does this in when I'm an entrepreneur, she have a picture of a dishwasher in the on her bedside table? Because Josephine Cochran in the 1880s, at, around the time the car was being invented, invented the dishwasher. Now, how many people in the world still... More than 150 years later, how many people have had inventions that have been that wide-reaching, yet the world doesn't even know who she was? At a time when, you know, it was unheard of for a war, she couldn't even find, you know, struggled to find an engineer who would work with her. Mm. So, you, again, you can read that article about her life, which I've written about her on my website. So it allows a discussion, I, and I recently I had a review um, where, you know, the the parent the mum was talking about the conversation starters that this book uh, led to them talking about you know not just what's involved with it with an astronaut but different um aspects relating to the book and the backstory around the images and so there's articles about the hidden meaning behind the images on my website that allow that further discussion so it, it it's a great fun i love it so that ties directly into what we were ending the the show the the last section of the show on, whereas you feel that will help uh, the the women that are starting out in education end up at the high end when they get their PhD. that glass ceiling yeah okay oh, that, okay that, I see how that all ties together now that's great um, can you tell us in the couple two three minutes we have left can you tell us what you want the audience to carry away from our time here today the most? the There are two things I suppose we've talked about. One is health, so what you can actually do to make a difference to your health um, uh, because you're the only person that can make that difference and then what you and you're the person that's going to reap the rewards of your hard work. Um, and so prioritising your health, making it the top of your list every day, the most important thing in your life and the most important thing you can do. When it comes to our biases about stereotypes and, you know, changing the way people think, it's the messages, the messages parents, schools, the media uh, give young children about um, their expectations or how they see suitable uh, careers um, What and it comes to uh, you know, how its society sees a good mother yeah uh, what 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 that means to a person is what uh, creates those self-limiting factors that we put on our young girls as far as their career choices and so uh, that was a really something important I wanted to make a message at I went for the children's books because it's a much more positive and cheery way to be able to make an impact on that message as well as at an early age, you know, I'm reaching out both to the parents and the kids with those books. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here today with us, Dr. Pile. We got so much out of it. We wish we had more time, but we don't. And I want to thank Mark uh, Aston for paneling for us. And most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening. Without our listeners, of course, we don't even have a show. And as always, I will leave you with a brief inspirational message. He was born the youngest of four boys. 
one of whom died in infancy. He was born to a middle-class family. He suffered terribly as a child from stuttering. He was teased and bullied at school because of his looks. The kids all said he looked like an alien, as to be expected. He became a shy, withdrawn kid. He didn't have any friends. So he dived into science. One of his teachers said, quote, there was nothing outstanding about him. I didn't expect him to be a great scientist, but he proved everybody wrong. He got into Oxford. At Oxford, he fell in love with acting, but of course, he still stuttered terribly. So he continued with his education and got a master's degree in electrical engineering. After graduation, he had a degree to fall back on, so he figured, why not go for it in acting? He joined a comedy troupe, but his stuttering held him back. He had a slew of clubs, auditions, TV stations, movie roles, etc. turn him down. But oftentimes, when you've got it rough growing up, there's a reserve of strength within you. And you can handle it. This is where he could reach down into himself, pull up the strength, and keep going. He kept at it because he knew he had a passion for making people laugh, and he was sure that he could be good at it. He started making up his own characters and realized he wouldn't stutter if he spoke in made-up voices. When he overcame his stuttering, he was still rejected by multiple studios, clubs, and in auditions. Being the kind of person who focuses on problem solving, he created a non-speaking character. Well over 50 years after non-speaking characters were mainstream. 10 years later, in the year 1990, he named his character Mr. Bean. This, of course, is Rowan Atkinson. His net worth today exceeds 150 million U.S. dollars. He's known for all kinds of movies, including the Johnny English series and Love Actually. What do we learn from this? Quite a few things, but some of them are, number one, think your way around a problem. In this case, he wanted to be an actor, but he has a big stutter. So how does he work around it? He makes up voices. And he creates characters that don't even speak. Something that's not really well known that should probably be discussed now is he still stutters to this day. Number two, don't listen to the naysayers. How dumb would you feel today if you were one of the kids who used to pick on him back then, given his success? Ex-Prime Minister Tony Blair went to school with him and says he remembers Rowan being treated poorly. And the third point I would like to make is, of course we learn from him to chase your dreams, no matter the obstacle, and with the belief and effort that we have a good chance of achieving them. We also know, as always, that there are two kinds of people listening to this podcast. The kind that says, no one likes me. Everyone says, I can't do it. There's no point in trying. And then the other kind. This motivational message was recorded on my radio show, Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. 
He was born the youngest of four boys, one of whom died in infancy. He was born to a middle-class family. He suffered terribly as a child from stuttering. He was teased and bullied at school because of his looks. The kids all said he looked like an alien. As to be expected, he became a shy, withdrawn kid. He didn't have any friends. So he dived into science. One of his teachers said, quote, there was nothing outstanding about him. I didn't expect him to be a great scientist, but he proved everybody wrong. He got into Oxford. At Oxford, he fell in love with acting, but of course, he still stuttered terribly. So he continued with his education and got a master's degree in electrical engineering. After graduation, he had a degree to fall back on, so he figured, why not go for it in acting? He joined a comedy troupe, but his stuttering held him back. He had a slew of clubs, auditions, TV stations, movie roles, etc. turn him down. But oftentimes, when you've got it rough growing up, there's a reserve of strength within you, and you can handle it. This is where he could reach down into himself, pull up this strength, and keep going. He kept at it because he knew he had a passion for making people laugh, and he was sure that he could be good at it. He started making up his own characters and realized he wouldn't stutter if he spoke in made-up voices. When he overcame his stuttering, he was still rejected by multiple studios, clubs, and in auditions. Being the kind of person who focuses on problem solving, he created a non-speaking character. Well over 50 years after non-speaking characters were mainstream. 10 years later, in the year 1990, he named his character Mr. Bean. This of course is Rowan Atkinson, his net worth today exceeds 150 million US dollars. He's known for all kinds of movies, including the Johnny English series and Love Actually. What do we learn from this? Quite a few things, but some of them are, number one, think your way around a problem. In this case, he wanted to be an actor, but he has a big stutter. So how does he work around it? He makes up voices and he creates characters that don't even speak. Something that's not really well known that should probably be discussed now is he still stutters to this day. Number two, don't listen to the naysayers. How dumb would you feel today if you were one of the kids who used to pick on him back then given his success? Ex-Prime Minister Tony Blair went to school with him and says he remembers Rowan being treated poorly. And the third point I would like to make is, of course we learn from him to chase your dreams, no matter the obstacle, and with the belief and effort that we have a good chance of achieving them. We also know, as always, that there are two kinds of people listening to this podcast. The kind that says, no one likes me. Everyone says, I can't do it. There's no point in trying. And then the other kind who says, I want it. I'm going to get it. I'll show you. 
and I will put forth every effort needed to succeed. Of course, the real question is, which one are you?